As Joseph mentioned, uh, we are kind of pivoting a little bit this morning, and we've been looking over the last couple of weeks of what makes Newcom or what makes New Community New Community. And uh, in our annual vision series this morning, our focus is on what does it mean to be engaged as a community. And uh, it may seem odd, but I had been preparing and planning to give a talk, and uh, so this is my way of kind of giving a talk, but not giving a talk, but to give a quick overview of where we're going to head, because I think it helps us to understand why we pivoted just a little bit when we sense the Spirit asking us to go in a different direction. Um, The passage I want to focus on just for a couple minutes is one of those quintessential passages of what does it mean to belong to a community, what does it mean to invest in a city, to be a people of place, to have a theology as big as the city, and um, to really to look at what it means to be engaged in our faith for the good of the city, for its people, and for the shalom of God and the kingdom of God to be present And uh, the passage this morning is in Jeremiah 29. You can turn there if you want. I think it's helpful to turn there in the text, but also it will be on the screen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, whenever I think of that particular passage, this one quote comes to mind, and it says this, Redemption does not change our participation in culture. Rather, it changes us and therefore the character of our involvement. I think it's important for us when we think of this idea of engage to recognize that faith or Christianity or our belonging to a collective community uh, is not about escapism. We're not trying to get out of the world. We're not trying to uh, like cloister ourselves and find safety and security. What we're really trying to do is engage. And this text gets into what it means to actually have a deep faith and live in a city in a kingdom-oriented way. And I want to cover just a couple quick ideas. The first idea is to put down roots or to live in the city. See, from the beginning of time, God desired a redeemed world that would look beautiful in its fullness, that it would be whole, that there would be a sense of shalom. And ever before we got a gospel mandate to let people know about who Jesus was, we received a cultural mandate, which is to care for and look after and nurture the earth. It is this idea that gardening, or our original human occupation, is a paradigm for cultural development. It means that we are to be about the cultivation of a civilization that honors God, to see the economic, social, and cultural well-being of a city, to be a people of a place. And so we're responsible, as God has gifted us with that, to develop the city, to see its people thrive, and to see the land thrive, which is why 
Even over the summer, you heard talks about why creation care and ecology is so important or why climate change is a spiritual issue and not just a social or political issue or the fact that homelessness is not just somebody else's problem, it is actually the church's concern. That these things about what it means to be for the city are ingrained into who we've been called to be from the very beginning. And so when we say that this is our city, that Spokane is our home, what we are essentially saying is that we want to have a tenacious commitment to be the kind of people that see the well-being of this city and see it thrive. The text also reminds us that we're to be long-haul people. The text says that we're to settle in for generations. In this particular passage, it says for three generations at least. Now, this is written to a group of people that wanted to be out of Babylon, people who had lost their home, lost their family, were exiled, were in a position where they felt like so separated from everything that mattered to them. And into that setting, what God is communicating is don't flee, settle in, double down, be even more committed to the place. A couple years ago, I was interacting with a, a man who was running a ministry in our city, a ministry to a highly marginalized group of people. And he had been doing it for years. And he was just slugging away at it and was pretty discouraged at the moment. And I asked him the question, what has kept you doing this for year after year after year? And he said to me, he goes, well, every day I want to quit. Most days I probably want to kill somebody. I'm totally in over my head and there are moments I hate every bit of it. And then I stop and I ask this question, God, what do you want? What do you have for me? And over and over again, I keep hearing, stay, keep at it, surrender, give your life away. And that's why I'm here. I just keep doing it. Because there is something about this idea that it is a long haul. That we have to be committed over a long period of time. And I think it's so important even during this unique season to recognize that even in our gathering it's easy to make gatherings the thing. In fact, in the Western culture, I would, I would guess that most churches celebrate the wrong stuff. And by that, I mean we're focused on how many people come on a Sunday or how many clicks we get or how many views happen to be online. And the truth is, the church has never been about and should never be about getting people in a building. The church should be about the mission of God, it should be about discipling people, it should be about doing everything to equip and prepare God's people to do ministry and live for the kingdom in the city. That's our calling. That is our responsibility, and it's over a long, long haul. Last idea that I wanted to highlight in this text. This text says to seek the welfare of the city, and I think that implies two things. It implies action, that we're to be active participants in it to actually engage in the work that God is calling us into, which then also assumes prayer. The text says to pray to the Lord on its or the city's behalf. And the Hebrew word here means to fall down. Basically the idea of pleading with God for something. Pope Francis makes this statement, today's world needs to weep 
The marginalized weep, those left aside weep, the scorned weep. But those of us who lead a life more or less without needs don't know how to weep. Certain realities of life are only seen with eyes cleansed by tears. And I think another way for us to engage is to be a group of people who pray, not just for the work of God to be fueled in the city, or not just for a heart for the city, or even to discern our role or to understand our ministry in the city. I think we're to pray with an imagination that asks God to do something incredibly unique in all facets of the city, whether that's on the streets, in healthcare clinics that desperately need it now, whether it's in our schools that are trying to stumble their way through regathering, and it's in art and business, in the church and education and family and government and law and media and transportation and public safety, and the list goes on and on, that we are asking ourselves to be engaged, but with this imagination that only God provides. And the response, the text says, that in its welfare, in the city's welfare, we find our welfare. In the city's shalom, we find our shalom. And part of the goal this morning, as Joseph mentioned, is to remind us of those things that are so essential to who we are and how we're called to be as a church community. But we also sensed that gathering feedback, fielding questions, and get a better sense of how we are to live together in this unique time um, and to be together engaged and become, how do we really embody that? That we wanted to take more of a posture of listening. Okay, as we mentioned, we are doing a little question and response. I am on the lower chair, uh, so that's going to be great. I'm moderating, so... It's going to be lovely. Okay, a few things before we get into it. This link will be up the entire time and will continue to be up uh, and open for feedback post-gathering and even post this week. So if there's ever any point that you would like to ask a question or offer feedback or you have thoughts or concerns, of course, you can always email the staff at staff at new-community.com. But if you want it to be anonymous, uh, or you just have uh, feedback to offer us, you can also use this link uh, moving forward. You guys ready? Oh, yeah. There's We're, some good ones. We are ready. There's some really, really good ones. Okay. First question. Can I still be part of new community even if I don't really come on Sundays or am involved in small groups? Go ahead, Kev. I, I got this one. Um, can uh, read it one more time just for me so I fully have it. Can I still be involved and part of new community even if I don't really come on Sundays or don't really come or involved in small groups? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, what we'll probably notice with a lot of these uh, questions that are given is there's many different layers that you can answer a question like this. I think the easy answer is, yeah, you can still be involved. I think there is always opportunities for deeper involvement, though, and part of our goal as a staff, as a leadership, as a church community is to help people take further steps into involvement, further steps into discipleship. Um, 
I think what's interesting or maybe what's kind of tricky about that type of question is um, when there is no uh, physical connection with people at a gathered service in a small group context, um, what is that involvement actually look like? And I think that's part of what our staff is trying to be uh, been figuring out. We are in a unique time in the church where people have access to podcasts and video services and all sorts of different tools and resources and those things are wonderful and good and they serve their purpose. But we have always also truly believe that there is something about actually flesh and blood, being with one another, being, uh, being able to sit across a table from somebody and actually hearing story and being with that person in a physical, in kind of that like physical environment, that physical way. And so we are always trying to figure out how do we create more inroads, how do we create more opportunities for people to step in and engagement further and uh, more in that way. Yeah. The challenging part right now, and you're all aware of this, is in the Western church as a whole, um, social scientists are kind of shocked because there's never been a more, um, uh, like a precipice falling right off the precipice is church attendance as a whole in the Western culture. On top of that, that was statistics before the pandemic started, and there's between a 30 and 35 percent decrease in church engagement since the beginning of the pandemic. So that question is absolutely a central question because I think a lot of people are asking that. What does it mean for me to be a part of the church while I'm not going to church? And I think part of why I shared what I did this morning is to remind ourselves again that um, you, you are the church. It is not a organization. Yes, we gather, and yes, there is a nonprofit organization, but you personally, if you are a follower of Jesus, are the church. And so the question becomes, what does it mean to engage as a person in the body of Christ? And that might not mean coming on a Sunday or being engaged in small group, and that's okay. Um, I think there is a period of time that we're sitting in that is, as Kevin just mentioned, quite unique. And so figuring out how to be personally connected, I think, is a real central piece. So if your connection isn't coming in the traditional small group or the traditional gathering, then I think in order to feel a part of new community still and to continue to be um, like understanding and feeling a part of who we are as a collective community, it does require at some level in like a connection with other people. So whether that's a small group that isn't a small group, but that comes over to your house or hangs out by a fire or, you know, goes out to eat together or whatever, um, there has to be some relational connection in order for there to be, like, some central relationship, if that makes sense. Great. Next question or comment. Uh, I have struggled with my faith more now than ever in my entire life. I am disappointed at the idea that my faith might be heavily reliant on physically attending church. I often feel lost and incapable of getting it together. How would you respond? I would first say, whoever wrote that, you're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, there are many of us, including myself, that have felt that very same thing. Um, 
wrestling with the complexity of faith and theology, wrestling with the complexity of not being gathered. So you're certainly not alone. Uh, I think I'll start there. You want to jump in? And I, I have another thought, too. Uh, no, go. Um, so, Joseph, read the second half of that again, if you could. I often feel lost and incapable of getting it together. Okay, right or, before that. Right sorry. before that. I am disappointed at the idea that my faith might be heavily reliant on physically attending church. Yeah, I, I, I guess one thought I would have is I don't, I don't personally think that you should feel disappointed about that. Um, for centuries, I think there is this idea that there are certain fundamental aspects of our faith that are actually pretty grounding for our faith. And so whether it's prayer, scripture reading, fasting, being in a faith community with people, regularly engaging in some form of corporate worship, like those are rhythms that have been a long-standing tradition of the church. Even before the church existed, those were rhythms of um, people groups that were central to understanding what it means to follow Yahweh. So I, I think all of us are, again, feeling that same, how do we do this during this season? Uh, so don't, I, wouldn't, I would encourage you, don't be disappointed by that. I think it's pretty natural to feel a bit of discouragement if those things aren't, uh, those regular rhythms aren't present or are different. The only thing I would add is that um, I think sometimes we have this idea that um, I'm only healthy in my faith if I'm always growing. And we, I think sometimes we unfairly marry some cultural ideas about success and that you're only successful if you're growing, you're climbing, you're making more money, you're getting a better job. And we equate our faith in the same way, that if I'm not more faithful than I was yesterday, then somehow I'm a failure. Or if I don't believe in Jesus a little bit more today than I did yesterday, then, then something's wrong. Uh, I remember, this is several years ago, but we um, kind of talked about spiritual journey not as this like linear movement, always trending upwards, but it's like this crazy line that's going all over the place. And there may be seasons where you take a step backwards and there's seasons where you're off this way and then seasons, but the hope is, is that you're always being drawn to the center, that you're always being drawn to Jesus. And there may be, and I think many of us are in this place right now, there may be times where you feel like, man, I'm just not growing. There are gonna be times, whether it's now or in the future, where your faith may feel stagnant. And that's okay. And I think taking a step back and taking a deep breath and just saying, okay, this is the season I'm in and, and here, uh, here is where I'm at right now. Now, how do I continue to keep my eyes focused on Jesus and just allow the Spirit to move through me, allow the Spirit to move through the community? And my hope is, is that eventually you begin to see some spiritual growth in that way. Yeah, that's good. All right, this next one is kind of a two-parter. Uh, two questions that I think have similar themes. Uh, first one, I am not mad at God, and I don't blame God for anything. I just feel out of routine and out of inspiration, and there doesn't seem to be anyone available to keep me moving forward. It's just really damn hard to find joy in this climate. Second part, just having listened to a lot of conversations, I just wanted to share that I have heard a lot of questions about suffering and what it says about God. 
I know it isn't a super fun or easy topic to tackle, but I think there are people who are craving some tools to navigate suffering theologically. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the second one. A piece of cake. Yeah. That old chestnut, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I will say we do not have the time to tackle the answer to that, in part because we don't know the answer to that. I think it's okay to admit that we do not know the spiritual conundrum um, of what it means for bad things to happen to good people and to be in a space where God is in control and yet allows things to happen. And all of that theological complexity uh, won't be answered in this moment. You can be assured of that. But, um, again, I... I Without sounding redundant, I, th- I think we need to say there are a lot of us feeling that same thing, right? We're asking those same questions, feeling those same feelings. Um, and again, it would be disingenuous of any of us to just try to brush that aside and pretend that it doesn't matter or like we can look past it. Um, doubt, in many ways, is the opposite side of faith. Like, you can't really have faith if it isn't in some way connected very intimately to the idea of doubt. So if you are doubting, if you are wrestling with what is God's role in this, if you're struggling with your faith, that means you're even closer to faith than you have been before. It is in that wrestling. So, I mean, there's a story that we often bring up here that is uh, of Jacob He's in this very complex time with his brother, and we don't need to go into all the relational dynamics of the moment, but it is in that moment that God comes in the form of a theophany, which is like really complex. But he begins to wrestle with this angel who is Jesus, who is God, and the wrestle happens all throughout the night. And in the morning, he walks away, with a limp. And there's something profound about that story for me because I recognize and realize that the change that happens in my life, if it is for my good and if it is moving me closer to who Yahweh is, it probably at some level will produce a limp. Right? That, there, that the growth happens in the challenge. That like, as a parent, one of the things that often I think most parents want to do is in the moment of tension, they want to rescue their child from it, right? But at the expense of that child's growth. Because we all know in hindsight, right, that it is in those moments that we grow the most, that we have the most profound understandings of who God is or who my friends are or what it means to persevere and And who we become after that limp is much closer to what it looks like to be who Jesus desires for us to be. And yet, all of us still want to avoid the suffering. We all still want to get out of it. And I think maybe in some ways, it's the embracing of the idea that in the wrestling we experience the limping that may help us navigate the season more effectively. Uh, I'll just say one thing to the uh, earlier part of that question about joy. Um, If you listen to the noise in the world, it's going to be really hard to find joy, 
right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think part of this, and, and maybe this is just really practical, some of it I, I think is tuning out some of that noise, figuring out what TV show you need to turn off, what radio station you need, whatever that is, just to turn some of that stuff off, some of that exterior noise. Um, and finding joy, I believe, is not just something that you stumble upon, that you happen upon. In, in some instances it is. A lot of times it actually is a practice. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes giving yourself to the practice of getting up and writing down five things that you're thankful for or that you're joyful for each morning could begin to kind of alter the way that you are approaching the rest of your day. And um, so actually adding in a practice of gratitude or a practice of joy yeah. could be a very, very practical thing that can be done in a few minutes a day that could potentially change an outlook in that way. One of the questions to kind of piggyback off that, one of the questions that I've been asking people recently, because the truth is, if you go, hey, how are you doing? One, you're just going to get the fine. How about you, right? But sometimes we ask that second layer of question where it's like, hey, how's it really going? And nobody really wants to answer that question either. So the question I've been trying to ask people uh, recently is just tell me one thing right now that's life-giving for you or inspiring or something you're really grateful for. And that's obviously a layer or two down. And if the person doesn't have something, then we have a good conversation about that. But it also points back to what Kevin's saying. It, it shifts the focus to those things that we can be uh, grateful for. All right. Um, next one. Bit of a softball here. Uh, with the mission of being a church for the city in mind, what does it look like for new community to be advocates and allies for minority groups in the city of Spokane, especially for a congregation that is predominantly white? That's a great question. Great question. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? Okay. Um, that wasn't a softball, by the way. Nobody got that. that yes. Yeah. Well, way to ease into the tension of white church. Yeah. Didn't go well. Just going to own that. My bad. Yeah. Thought uh, it was going to hit. As soon as you said softball, the first little trigger in the back of my mind was, it's not going to be. White evangelicalism. I knew, uh, yeah. <laughs> I knew you too well. It's a great, great question. And uh, whoever is asking that question, I'm so thankful that you're asking that question. It is a question that we have continued to ask uh, ourselves um, in a lot of ways over the last decade. Um, I think probably a decade ago, um, and we talked two weeks ago about the history of New Community and how 14 years ago uh, I started on staff and then a year, year and a half later, Kevin joined and we've been um, kind of on this journey of what ask, like following what God is asking us to do in the city. And um, this is an area that I have really, really wrestled with. Um, part of why I have wrestled with that for so long is it's highly personal to me too. Um, and so I have, and these gentlemen can attest to this, I have internally wrestled with how much do I say personally without it feeling like I'm coming with an agenda of I have a black daughter and that really, really, race really, really, really matters to me, my family. Um, and so I don't want to be up here every week talking about it. And so it is something we have wrestled with a lot. 
We have sought to be advocates not just on Sunday mornings, but in very intentional ways in the community. Um, a few years back, I um, was asked in a, a unique way, but to be uh, the MLK speaker for the community colleges, to have a religious voice wanting to speak to this topic and talking about how we have in many ways failed. And so it is central to us, this topic, also uh, to the inclusion of everyone, whether you're in the LGBTQ community, um, whether you're friends who live on the streets. I, I think there is in our city massive amounts of uh, not just segregation, but the ways that we other people and uh, we want to be the opposite of that, and we have fought for that. Yeah, I, mean, I would just add, uh, Joseph, begin our service with this phrase, extravagant welcome, and that is a phrase that we use as a staff a lot. It's a phrase that we use in um, kind of those leadership meetings to say, practically, what does that actually look like, and how are we continuing to live that out? Um, with that comes, I would hope, uh, a continued pursuit of deep humility in our lives individually and a willingness to be introspective and self-reflective and say, where have I wronged and what are, uh, what are areas in my life that uh, I need to reconcile and ask forgiveness for? And um, we, as a staff, try to do that in our weekly staff meetings and our relationships to uh, help draw some of that stuff out of each other so that we have those types of relationships in hopes that then as a larger church community, those relationships continue to be fostered and cultivated. But um, I, think it, I think first it, it needs to come out of a place of deep humility and a place knowing that, I mean, a hundred years ago, this church was established on this corner for a reason, and we will continue to do whatever it takes to be a place of hope and a place of the kingdom on 3rd and Howard. Yeah, that's good. All right, uh, a few more here. Uh, this is more of a comment instead of a question. Um, this person writes, please stop offering in-person service. Please stop asking small groups to meet in person like this previous weekend. Hoopfest was canceled for a reason. It is not safe to gather. Uh, yeah, I'll take this one. Um, yeah. So uh, here's where I would say welcome to being a place of extravagant welcome, <laughs> right? So we have people that feel this way. We have people on the other end uh, that we receive phone calls from after three weeks of not offering service in 2020 saying, what in the world are you guys doing? We need to be gathered as a church. Um, so we feel... Uh, I'll speak for myself. I feel this very deeply, trying to figure out, uh, as a church community, what is our best foot forward? What is the best way that we posture ourselves um, to welcome both of these types of opinions and say, there is a place for you here at New Community? I think, uh, I mean, certainly we shut down for a year, uh, primarily because of this reason, feeling like it wasn't safe, feeling like as a church community, the best way that we care for our city is not to hold in-person services. Uh, we got to a point last year where we began to say, let's gather some other people around, some people that are far smarter than uh, us on staff that can give some uh, wisdom and discernment as to how can we be continue to be a church community that gathers? What might that look like to reopen? And I think in a really practical way, we got to the point to say, um, 
the risk-reward benefit maybe is tipping in the other direction now, that there are so many people that are deeply isolated, that feel lonely, that don't have connection, that don't have support. And if we don't have something for people to come to, there's destruction on that end too. And so uh, we are continually trying to thread this very tricky needle to say, how are we as safe as we possibly can be from a, uh, you know, like a medical perspective, a COVID perspective, how are we also caring for the deep, true, real spiritual needs of this family? And uh, that is, there are no easy answers. No. Um, I can say that we, this is a conversation that we have all the time. I mean, frankly, I'm tired of having the conversation, but we will continue to have the conversation to make sure that uh, as a church community, we are both kind of watching what's happening in our city and in our country and making sure that we're doing our best part to be safe, but also recognizing that we have uh, a spiritual call to be together and care for one another and grow and continue to pursue Jesus. And like Russ already mentioned, that does have to happen in relationship at some level. It's mm-hmm. good. All right, two more questions here. Um, a question that we asked on the survey was, in what ways have you struggled with your faith during this season? Uh, to which somebody responded, yes, sometimes I feel very disenchanted with how Christianity plays out in our current world situation. How can some of the things I see Christians do be an expression of the same Jesus that I know? Am I missing something? Great question. Great statement. Um, it's a statement. We don't actually yeah. have to say anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> good. Statement. We agree. Next, yep. <laughs> um, this is this is that statement um, is probably one of the more communicated challenges of my adult children. So, twenty-one, nineteen, seventeen. It. it I mean, it's anonymous, but maybe one of them wrote it. Um, it because the, the, I think this is a really, really challenging time in which there is, um, and the pandemic has exacerbated it, right? But there are factions in our society, and division is like the most singular thing right now, not unity. And in the center of that, really, the church is quite divided. And I think what has been challenging at a personal level for me is that I have a deep and profound love for and belief in the church. Universal, the people of God who gather collectively. And yet, I'm also disgusted by the church at the same time. Um, And some of our brothers and sisters within the faith might have an opinion that's different than our own. And what I would like to do is just be like, who cares? Get out of here, whatever. But that is not what the scriptures call me to. That's not what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And so I wrestle with that tension all the time because as you know, the New Testament talks about when it describes the church as a body, 
and it tells, you know, says the toe is doing this or the foot or the hand or whatever. We're all, whether we know it or not, and in our world we try to avoid this idea, but we are all connected as the church, the body of Christ, regardless of theological position, regardless of political position, regardless of whether we like our brother or sister or not. We don't get to choose the family. God chooses who's in the family, and then we get to come together and figure out how to live well together, to bear the fruit of the Spirit with one another. And it would be tempting for us to write off people or to say, you know, you're out, we're in, and and create these divisions and like double down on that. And I do not think that that is what the Spirit is calling us to, personally. I read John 17, and he says that the world will know that I am God. The world will know that Jesus is the center of everything. When? When brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And what I think breaks my heart is the reason the world is not knowing that the kingdom of God is coming and is present here and not yet at the same time is because we don't get along. That we don't have brothers and sisters in the faith that are actually friendly with each other regardless of what we believe about particular things. And it breaks my heart because I know in reading the text that it breaks God's heart. And he says, if there's anything I could fix, it would be the discord among brothers and sisters. If there's anything that would reveal that I am God to the world, it would be that we get along. And so I guess part of my challenge would be that we're a small community, but maybe a small community can demonstrate what it actually looks like to have extravagant welcome for people on whatever opinion you have or whatever theological position you have, that we can be with each other in that moment and that can drive us toward Jesus. And maybe if we model that for other churches in this community and then for other churches in this state, maybe it will become contagious. I don't know, but I hope so. It's worth trying. I mean, I think... We have to. Yeah. We have to. It's, not, it's, it's what we're commanded to. Uh, unity does not mean agreement on no. everything. Uh, but I think unity does mean love. And um, that, that is the posture that we need to take with everybody. Yeah. And that requires deep humility and it requires uh, work. And sometimes it requires the ability uh, and the willingness to listen before you speak, and yeah. I, I truly agree that I think that is, the, that is the call placed on this community and on us as individuals. Yeah, I mean, we talk all the time here, unity over uniformity. We do not want everyone in this community to all believe the exact same thing or to all practice it the exact same way, because that is not a diverse body of Christ. We want all the diversity that we can have in a community that strives for unity through love because that is what actually the kingdom will look like. I mean, that's the thing, right? We're, we're, we're in this moment in time, and we are awaiting this like universal kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't settle for the small thing when we can live into the big thing, right? As much as we can, let's live into his kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, uh, last one here, and then we'll do our benediction, and then we will uh, head out. 
What does the future look like for engaging at New Community outside of coming on Sunday mornings and being involved in small groups? I have two thoughts came to mind, but you want to jump uh, in first? Go ahead, yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll answer in two different ways. So what does it look like, what does the future of New Community look like for you to be engaged? I would say, one... Since you are a new community, my question back to you is, what would it look like for you to be engaged in your city, in your place of influence, in your place of employment, in your neighborhood? And then that's the answer, right? Because that's what it means to be the church. It isn't to come here on a Sunday. It's to actually be the church in the city. So it might look like for you helping your neighbor with yard work, and it might mean taking dinner to a widow or looking after an orphan and helping with safe families, or it could look, who knows, the Spirit is speaking to you. Whether you've heard from the Spirit or not lately, the Spirit is speaking to you. Listen, and you will know. And if you don't, we'd love to sit down and like work together to figure out what the Spirit might be saying. So that's the one answer. The other answer I would give from a corporate standpoint, like us collectively, uh, we are trying to put the emphasis during this season, like all of the rest of the fall, on Sunday mornings and small groups. Now, typically, we would say that the most important gathering you can be a part of is your small group, because that's where relationship happens. That's where deep discipleship happens. That's where you share life together. We also think, when possible, it is important to gather in a collective group as a rhythm of worshiping and loving God together. And we're not trying to add anything else to the schedule because right now we just need to keep things, I think, as a whole and personally, as simple as we can, right? Do the fundamentals, stick to that, right? But then, starting in January and beyond, depending on, as Kevin said, we're always constantly evaluating the situation and that these things are all prone to change, but our hope would be to create more opportunities for spiritual formation in smaller group or individual ways. Uh, Jerusha being added to staff is a, a gift, and we're excited about her being able to lean into some of that stuff uh, starting in January. Again, on a day-by-day -day basis, we'll evaluate that. Okay. You got the Benny. benediction. Mm -hmm. uh, let me, uh, I'll close this with a benediction, but... Um, let me say this. Our posture, uh, I hope, is always open towards more questions. And so part of the function of this morning uh, is not just a, hey, let's get some uh, questions, some responses, but also, once again, to speak to the value of as you have things that come to mind, if you're wrestling with stuff, if you need somebody to talk to, if you have questions, we want to hear them. We want to engage. So uh, send us an email, pull us aside, whatever it takes, but uh, we want to be a part of the process. So new community, let's stand. For those that did uh, submit questions, responses, concerns, thank you very much. Uh, let me close us with this benediction. Newcom, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take up residence in the city. Establish community, have kids, invest in others. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. And pray to the Lord. 
and you will live in the presence of Christ as his beloved for the rest of my life. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.